0: Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Welcome back for the last episode in series four. And if you've been following series four, you'll see that we've been uh, traveling with Paul and Barnabas as they've been uh, uh, planting churches in the area of Asia Minor, southern Turkey in modern terms. Uh, and this is, this is the first missionary journey after they were sent out from Antioch as described at the beginning of Acts 13. And we're now coming to the end of this series because in the four episodes up till now, we've described the, the dynamic and exciting journey they made, all the places that they visited, the successes they had, the challenges they had, they had to leave certain places in a hurry There was intense opposition from the Jewish community in some places. And we've seen the whole story. And in in the last four episodes, we've described it from the beginning to the end. They left Antioch in Syria, traveled to Cyprus, traveled into southern Turkey, came back uh, through all the cities they'd been in and planted churches. And in the last episode, I described how they established leadership structures through elders in every church how they built up and strengthened the churches, and then they travelled back by sea, uh, across to Antioch in Syria, the church that had sent them many months before. And we ended the last episode on a really lovely uh, situation where they could go back and give a great story to the church, and everyone was thrilled about what had happened through many months of mission. And you might think, well, that's the end of the story. Great, everything's going to go well from here. The churches have been established, they've got leaders, they've had teaching, they're encouraged, they've seen many miracles, and what's going to be the problem? But the Book of Acts continually faces, up, uh, faces us with the fact that as the Gospel advances, there are always counterattacks. There are always challenges. And so we have advance and setback as a pattern in the book of Acts. And in this episode, a sudden, very dangerous crisis arises in the situation that we now have. The mother church is in Jerusalem, where most of the apostles are based and where Peter, the leader of the apostles, is based. Paul and Barnabas are based in Antioch in Syria, 300 kilometers north of Jerusalem. That's the resource church for the Gentile mission. So we have the central church in Jerusalem and we have this resource church in Antioch, which is very active in mission. We've seen that the gospel has gone across ethnic boundaries, starting amongst the Jews, going to the Samaritans, and now most recently in series three and four, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. But an issue arises now concerning that uh, the gospel crossing the ethnic boundary. And this is always a moment of risk for the gospel when a new ethnic or racial group comes into the church community, tension between different ethnic groups. And the issue that arises in this episode is concerning the connection of Christianity to Judaism. Paul and Barnabas had specifically preached on this missionary journey to uh, to Jewish groups that they met, as stated in Acts 13 verses 38 and 39, Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now, this passage and statement is very important. Paul and Barnabas are drawing a distinction between Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the law of Moses, saying the law of Moses is unable to bring salvation. And they also taught that the law of Moses, all the rules that govern Jewish life, based in uh, particularly the books of Exodus and Leviticus, that all of that law is now redundant. It's now become obsolete. It's now been superseded by the gospel. This means that if a Gentile, a non-Jew comes to Christianity, they don't have to obey Jewish rules and customs in order to become a Christian. That was what they preached. But not everybody agreed. Some of the Jewish converts to Christianity still believed that if a gentile is coming into the church they have to come and become like a jew first in order to become a christian in other words they were mixing together the old testament laws and the christian faith and the symbol of this was male circumcision this was a sign of Jewishness that was unique in the ancient world, not practiced by any other ethnic group on, on any, uh, in any numbers. And some people were saying, how come these Gentiles can come into Christian faith, but they're not being circumcised like us Jews? So this is the controversy that arose suddenly and dangerously as uh, Paul and Barnabas ended their first missionary tour. We're going to read in Acts 15, the first five verses. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So this meeting is taking place in the central church. This is the headquarters of the church and Paul and Barnabas felt they needed to go to the senior leadership, to the apostles themselves and have a consultation. They had to agree what to do about this issue and they traveled and were welcomed by the apostles and elders and the church in Jerusalem, told them the incredible way that the gospel was spreading far and wide to places that many Jewish believers in Jerusalem had never been to. Places that were hundreds of kilometers away in the north in different parts of the Roman Empire. So they were thrilled to hear the news, but there was a minority of people who were not happy. And these are described as believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. So they were mixing together Christianity and Judaism. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah but they also believed that Judaism was an exclusive religion and anybody who joined Christianity had to join Judaism as well. They had to become Jews on their way to becoming Christians. And the sign of that was male circumcision which had to be practiced by any Gentile who joined the Jewish faith, any male Gentile who joined. So an argument is rising and we already know that Paul and Barnabas strongly disagree with this. They don't want to impose on the Gentiles the Old Testament law. They want them to come to faith by believing the Gospel, and for the power of their faith, the energy of their faith, to be the Holy Spirit living within them. This is the unique gift of Christianity, the Holy Spirit living inside a person, replacing the need for a law structure. So, a controversy is taking place, and a meeting had to be held. One of the most important meetings the church has ever had took place here in Jerusalem. And we call it the Council of Jerusalem at a moment of crisis. You see, the risk was the church was going to split at this point. If the Jerusalem elders said, yes, everybody needs to be circumcised, then Paul and Barnabas would have to split off from them and we'd have a Gentile church over here and a Jewish church over here. So this Had to be resolved. And it was resolved by intensive discussion and listening, and ultimately by the wisdom of the senior leaders involved. Verses 6 to 11 tells us how the discussion went. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Now, Peter was recalling in his mind and telling the story of the amazing conversion of Cornelius. This was the decisive moment in his his thinking. And if you recall us going through that story in in Acts chapter 10, you'll remember what happened. This had a huge impression on Peter's mind and his imagination and his theology because as he was preaching to Cornelius and his household in Caesarea, who were all Gentiles as far as we know, he didn't even finish his talk before the Holy Spirit came down in such power on Cornelius and his family and friends, and they started exercising spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues and prophesying. This happened so powerfully that Peter hadn't even finished his message, he hadn't even come to the point of inviting a response. It was a demonstration of divine inclusion of the Gentiles through the power of the Spirit in their lives, just like the Jews had experienced on the day of Pentecost. Here, Cornelius had, and his family had what, what some theologians call a Gentile Pentecost. And this convinced Peter, fundamentally, that there's no preliminary steps that people need to take before they come to, Christ- to become Christians. There's no ritual steps they need to take. There's no circumcision they need to go through. They don't need to obey the Jewish food laws. They don't need to follow the Jewish Sabbath rules in order to become a Christian. In other words, you don't have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. You are invited into the family of God as your own ethnic identity, as a Greek, as a Roman. You don't have to change your ethnic identity. You're invited in. And he then points out that the law of Moses had become a burden or a yoke to the Jewish people. It was hard to obey. And its time had passed. It helped to frame the culture of the Jewish nation in the Old Testament period, but now a new covenant had come. And The church had to adapt to this new covenant by allowing people in without going back into the old regulations. That was the argument that Peter put at that point. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Paul and Barnabas telling about the signs and wonders God had done (coughs) among the Gentiles through them. And so Paul and Barnabas basically said, well, what happened to Cornelius and his household also happened to lots of other Gentiles. The Holy Spirit just came on them as we preached. We don't need circumcision. It's a burden. It's a problem. It's a confusion. It muddles the issue of justification by faith alone, through the grace of God alone, through believing in Christ's salvation and his resurrection and receiving his forgiveness. So Paul and Barnabas are endorsing what Peter's saying. Basically, Peter had this experience here, nearby, uh, in Judea, in Caesarea. We've had this experience all over the Gentile world. The same thing is happening. And so we come to the conclusion of the discussion. And it's interesting that at this point, another person speaks. Not Paul, not Barnabas, not Peter. They've had their say. But now the leader of the Jerusalem church, James, who we described in an earlier episode as being the half-brother of Jesus, not James the apostle, the brother of John, who had been martyred by this time, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, who Jesus made an Apostle with the Twelve in the time of his resurrection, as described by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This James has emerged as the leader of the church in Jerusalem and one of the wider group of Apostles. A man known for wisdom, and he spoke at this point and gave a verdict. Verses 13 to 22. When they'd finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. James first refers to the prophets, and he refers to uh, Amos, and a famous couple of verses in Amos chapter nine, verses 11 to 12. Let me just explain the meaning that he draws from this these, these verses. He says, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. Now that metaphor, the tent of David, <coughs> refers to the monarchy, the kingship in Israel. David was the first of God's chosen kings and God promised him um, a, a monarchy that would go on permanently but it was interrupted through political issues and through the uh, invasion of the Babylonian people, the monarchy of David had had been uh, abolished and it wasn't functioning. But the prophet Amos said that the kingship of David is going to be restored in Israel. And essentially Jesus was a direct descendant of David and known as the son of David and prophesied as the one who is going to restore God's kingship in Israel. So verse 16 is saying that the kingship of David is being restored and has been restored through Jesus. And then verse 17 indicates the implication of this This is a divine kingship rather than just a human government. But this divine kingship, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, brings the implication that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. So Amos is prophesying, at the time that David's monarchy is restored, the door will be open to the Gentiles. At the time the monarchy is restored, the door will be open to the Gentiles to believe. That was the prophecy of Amos. And James says that's what's happening now. The monarchy is restored because Jesus came as the son of David, the kingdom of God has come, and it's a signal for the Gentiles to come in. So we've got to be ready for that reality. Then he makes a judgment, which no doubt he discussed already in the wider discussions as his proposals, that They should not tell the Gentiles that they have to obey all the laws of the Old Testament, but give them guidelines on two key issues that really mattered. One of them was participating in the worship of Greek and Roman and other gods, idol worship. And they gave them some regulations, three regulations here, which are about those worship ceremonies. One is about food, uh, the food uh, in idol worship, not participating uh, in that food, not uh, using that food during the worship ceremony. And the other two uh, regulations that relate to that are are the meat of strangled animals and the drinking of blood. So animals were strangled frequently in those idol worships and some of the worshippers in those contexts drank blood. In other words, those three actions are all associated in the culture with worshipping Greek and Roman gods. And James says we don't want the Gentiles to do those things because we want them to separate from those gods. So that was the first issue he regulated. The second issue was sexual morality because sexual immorality was always associated with Greek and Roman culture and also with pagan worship, where there were many forms of prostitution and sexual immorality and unfaithfulness. So he made those regulations, not as part of the law of Moses, but as relevant considerations to help the Gentile believers be separate in important ways from those who worshipped uh, uh, pagan gods. So those were the regulations he gave and those were the reasons for them. And then they appointed two leaders, Judas and Silas, who were leaders in the Jerusalem church, to go and give the message to the church in Antioch that everything was okay. People don't have to go by the law of Moses. And so we see in the final verses what happens as they did this. Verses 23 to 35. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who'd sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. The crisis is over. And the unity of the church has been preserved. It will come under threat again in the future, but for now, uh, the crisis has been averted. So as we come to the end of this episode, I'd like to just reflect on a few things I think we can learn from this very unusual passage. It's about the issue of legalism bringing laws into Christianity that are not part of the Christian faith. This is an issue in all cultures and it's not surprising that the issue came up in the very beginning of the church and the apostles had to make a very clear statement about it which they did at the Council of Jerusalem. There are a number of things that we need to be aware of. There's a risk for Christians to take Parts of the Old Testament law and apply them to us. That's a risk because we're not permitted to do that unless that particular law is restated in the New Testament and applied to the church. And in a few cases, this is true. Some of the Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament so they become part of Christianity. But almost all the Old Testament laws, there were more than 600 laws in the Lord Moses, almost all of those are not reiterated in the New Testament and therefore they're not applicable to the church. So that's one danger. The other danger is that we generally as human beings tend to want to please God by following regulations. We find it a secure way of thinking that somehow or other, I need to achieve these regulations and follow these moral rules and these ritual rules in order to please God. It's the way most religions operate. But Christianity doesn't operate on that basis. The status of pleasing God has been fundamentally achieved by Christ on the cross. We are in a relationship of peace with God. We have been justified by faith. Our sins are being forgiven. This is the starting point of Christianity. So we don't need lots of regulations to get us to that point. And we have the risk not only of maybe adding in regulations from the Old Testament and applying them to the New Testament church, but also other regulations which we draw from our cultural background. We might, for example, say that certain foods are prohibited to Christians universally, or certain drinks are prohibited to Christians universally, or certain dress codes are essential for Christians in public worship. And so, elements of our culture then become rules that we apply to everybody. That's modern legalism, and it's very similar to what was uh, happening here that the apostles decided against. So we have to be very careful. In order to be right with God, we need to remember the basis of our salvation and then confess any known sin that the Holy Spirit points out to us. That's the pattern of being right with God and it doesn't depend on rituals and on rules and regulations on a legalistic mentality, but people generally are very inclined to think in terms of achievement. But Christianity says the achievement is Christ's. He achieved what we need. We need to appropriate it or take hold of it by faith. And that's really what this battle was about in the Council of Jerusalem. The second reflection and application I want to make as we conclude is just to allow this passage to be a springboard for us to think about how we incorporate in church communities people from different cultural backgrounds. It's God's will that we should be able to come together, although we have different cultural backgrounds, but tensions often arise. And the Antioch church was a good example where there were many different ethnic groups and the leadership structure, the leadership team in the church in Antioch was from a variety of different ethnic backgrounds, as we saw when we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. Some Africans, <coughs> some uh, Jewish people uh, uh, from, from various different uh, geographical areas and They they were forming a multi-ethnic church. And so the principles of this passage will help us as we consider how to do that in our own environments. Thanks for joining us for this last episode in series four. And we move on to the next exciting series as the gospel moves across to Europe uh, as we begin series five. Hope you'll join us. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.